0: Good, good morning, Lake Hills Church. What an amazing day to be at worship together, whether you're in the room or online. And if you are online, we want you to know that we cannot wait to see you back in the room, or maybe come into the room for the first time if you're just checking us out online. Today is a really special day in the life of our church, as God has got an incredible message for us from one of our own, our staff member, Whitney Wiseman. Whitney and her husband, Justin, and their kids, Byron and Lucy, are an integral part of our church team. And Whitney is one of the primary communicators that God uses to speak into the life of our church. So I wanna ask you, if you will, do me a personal favor, stand to your feet and give a crazy in-house Lake Hills Church welcome to Whitney Wiseman. How's everybody doing? Yeah, you glad to be here? I'm glad you're here, thanks for being here. Whether you are tuning in online or you're actually here in the room, we really are so glad that you're here. We're so grateful that we can gather together and worship um, and learn more about what God has in store for our lives um, and get to do it together. It's nice to not be alone in that journey. Um, as we get started, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for, for Sundays, God, for a break in our week, where we can take a deep breath, God, where we can be filled with your truth, and we can pause and worship you and express our gratitude, God, where we can um, be filled by community, and we just um, ask that that you um, would move before us, that your Holy Spirit would prepare our hearts for what you have for us that um, that your truth would be revealed in your word this morning and that we would just wholeheartedly follow after you. And we ask all of these things in your name. Amen. All right, I would like for you to travel back in time, um, an ancient time with me, if you will, this morning, a time before everyone on planet Earth had an iPhone in their pocket, a time before GPS was a thing, a time where people used... Um, antiquated tools like maps. Do you guys remember maps? Has anyone ever used a map? You're like, not, not that like map apps on your phone, but like a paper map that you unfold and fold up and they keep in your glove compartment or maybe in your fanny pack if you're traveling to a new place. I became very familiar with maps because I moved to New York City at a time, this ancient time before iPhones, and I carried around two maps with me everywhere I went Um, as a a young person in a new place, and one of those maps was the the MTA subway map that you get for free at all the subway stations. It's like huge, kind of flimsy, Um, and it shows you like all the subway stops, all the bus routes. It helps you get from point A to point B. I also carried around a more specific um, map that it was a street map, map that outlined all of the streets, and so I knew, you know, while I'm You know, en route from point A to point B, this is where I need to turn on this street. Um, And those were immensely helpful. I carried them with me all the time everywhere I went. What they didn't help me with was when you like emerge from underground like, like a mole person out of the subway um, and you, it's hard to discern which way is like north, south, east and west and like the buildings are really tall so you can't see the sun as if I could navigate by like looking at the sun and the stars. I'm not really great with my left and right so directional directions um, are even more of a challenge for me. Um, so that was, that was a challenge, and um, I did eventually realize that there is a tool that could help me with this. So I bought a compass at the New York City Public Library, and I wore that compass proudly around my neck, and I carried my maps around with me everywhere I went, and yes, I did look exactly as cool as you're envisioning right now. But what's cool compared to being right, right? Like I wasted so much time coming up on the 42nd street stop, trying to get to 46th street, and realizing that I had gone the wrong direction when, you, when I saw a 38th street street sign. Like that is a lot of wasted time and energy to go all that distance and then realize you have to start all, go all the way back and start from the beginning just to move in the right direction. And what is true on a small scale for me at this particular point in my life has been true, unfortunately, more times than I would like to admit, but I will because I'm amongst family and I trust you guys, that that has happened to me on multiple occasions on a much bigger scale, that I have moved in the wrong direction. I've wasted a lot of time and energy moving in the wrong direction, not confident about the direction that I was going. And I feel like it, it can't just be me, right? I hope, please let it not just be me, who who sometimes questions like, what's my next step? Which direction do I need to be going? If only God would act more like a GPS and say like, hey Whitney, one mile up ahead, don't date that guy, or like take a left turn and accept this job offer, that would be really nice. It would be awesome if there was a specific verse about each specific situation in our lives, a verse about, I don't know, how to get your toddler to sleep in their own bed all night, hypothetically speaking? Or a verse about how to pick the right college or the perfect major to set yourself up for a win? Or when is the the perfect time to sell that business or the, the best place to retire or what it looks like to care for aging parents? How do we confidently know what our next step is? A lot of times we go to scripture looking for that one verse about that one thing. But so often when we do that, we're missing the big picture, both literally and figuratively. And that is one of the reasons why I have loved this sermon series, where we've taken a long look at the life of Abraham. And we've seen certain instances where God does speak directly to Abraham. He says, turn here, take this step. He, he calls him in Genesis 12 out of the land of his fathers into the land of the Canaanites. And when he calls Abraham, he he makes a covenant with him, and he promises Abraham that through Abraham, his descendants will be as many as the stars, that God will give those descendants the land of the Canaanites, the promised land, and that through Abraham and Abraham's descendants, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. We see that in chapter 12, in chapter 15, in chapter 17. God speaks directly to Abraham. Wouldn't that be nice if that happened all the time, if that was if that was the only way that we knew what our next step was. We also see Abraham make some some wrong turns, right? He takes some things into his own hands, as was the case with Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac. He, He takes some wrong steps. He has to backtrack a little bit to get back on God's track, but we see over time that he becomes more familiar with God's character and God's ways, he spends time with God, as Kaylee so poignantly pointed out to us last week. Didn't she do awesome, by the way? She was really great. She showed us what it looks like to live a life with God. And when we live a life with God, we're able to more accurately recognize the voice of God as Abraham did before he sacrificed his son. He heard the voice of God saying, stop. And he saw the sacrifice that God had provided in his son's place because of the time that he had spent with God. Spending time with God shows us the trajectory of God, the will of God, and how we can move forward in it. We're going to take a look at Genesis um, chapter 24 today. If you have your Bibles, you can open up Genesis 24. And while you're doing that, I want to catch us up a a little bit between um, Abraham and Isaac on the mountain where God provides a sacrifice in chapter 24 where we start today. Abraham's wife, Sarah, has died. So chapter 23 outlines how how Sarah has died, how Abraham goes to mourn for her, how he buys a plot of land and the burial process and just, just the grieving that he does. So we find Abraham at a time of transition. And in this time of transition, we see how God guides and provides the perfect wife for Isaac, we see God's providence, God's movement in the world, how God continues to create and maintain and sustain and is active in our lives and in the lives of these individuals. And we see normal people like Abraham and Abraham's servant and Rebecca take practical next steps within God's will. So we're going to pick up in verse 3 where Abraham asks his servant to, to make an oath. Um, to go and find a bride for his son Isaac. And in verse 3, Abraham says to his servant, Swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Go instead to my homeland, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son Isaac. The servant asked, But what if I can't find a young woman who is willing to travel so far from home? Should I then take Isaac there to live among your relatives in the land that you came from? No, Abraham responded. Be careful never to take my son there, for the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. He will send his angel ahead of you and he will see to it that you find a wife there for my son. And if she is unwilling to come back with you, then you are free from this oath of mine. But under no circumstances are you to take my son there. So Abraham has some very specific stipulations about how the servant is to go about finding this perfect wife for his son. So the servant agrees, he says, yes, I will go. I swear that I will do these things. So he packs up a caravan And he sets off, and in this caravan, he's traveling with 10 camels. So the servant and 10 camels are moving across Mesopotamia, and they end up back in the land where Abraham's relatives are residing. And after this long and dusty journey, they stop at a well. And they stop there for a couple of practical reasons. The first is that they've just made a long journey through a dusty land, and surely he and all 10 camels must be very thirsty. And the second is that this, the well is a place where young women come together. So if you are looking for a potential bride, this is the place to do it. Th- this is the watering hole. This is like Austin's equivalent to, to Rainy Street, for example. If you're looking for a bride, <laughs> maybe, then, then that's one of the places that you can look. <laughs> and it just clicked as I was preparing for this that that is why we call places watering holes. Guys, like light bulbs going off left and right. So he goes to this well and before he does anything else, he prays and this is what the the servant says in verse 12. He says, oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed, please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. See, I am standing here beside this spring and the young women of the town are coming down to drink water to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says yes, have a drink, and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one that you have selected as Isaac's wife. And this is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. In verse 15, before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebekah coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. And she was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother, Nahor, and his wife, Milcah. I love that before he, he takes a step, before he makes any moves, he stops and he prays. And in this prayer, he uses the phrase, show me your unfailing love, your faithfulness that you have shown my master. In Hebrew, this word for unfailing love, for steadfast love, is chesed. Everybody say chesed. Chesed. All right, I'll try it one more time, but try not to spit on your neighbor. Chesed. Chesed Chesed is a challenging word to say. It's also a challenging word to translate. Some of our our English Bibles use the word um, unfailing Love, steadfast love, loving kindness, um, loyalty, devotion. But in every instance that it is used in scripture, it is more than an abstract emotion, but it always, um, it, there's always some practical action attached to it, action um, on behalf, someone is acting on behalf of another person. Anytime this word hased is used. So In this prayer, the servant is praying, God, show me your chesed. God, he's saying, be who I know you to be. I've seen you do this in the life of my master. God, be who I know you to be and do what I know that only you can do. God, show up in this place and show me your steadfast love, loving kindness, your faithfulness. And I also love that before he even finishes praying, Rebecca shows up on the scene. Says, behold, Rebecca comes carrying a jug of water on her shoulder. And we find out that she is related to Abraham in a good way for this time in the world. Um, Sounds kind of weird to us, um, but that was one of the stipulations that Abraham was looking for, right? That she must be one of my relatives. And so his interest is piqued. He sees that she's beautiful, she's carrying a jug of water, and so he asks her for a drink. And this is how she responds in verse 18. Yes, my lord, she answered, have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder, and she gave him a drink. And when she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for all his camels. And the servant watched in silence, wondering whether or not the Lord had given him success in his mission. And then at last, the camels had finished drinking and she he took out gold a gold ring for her nose, and two large gold bracelets for her wrists. Tokens of gratitude for all of the hard work and the generosity that she had shown. Because I want us to catch this. Not only does she say, yes, you can have a drink of water, but I'm going to water your camels too. All 10 of them, which you can only imagine how much water it would take to, to water 10 camels enough, to to fill them up, and not only that, but scripture says she runs. She's like next level right here. So he offers her some gifts of generosity. But while all this is happening, I love that the servant watches in silence. I can just see him standing like wide-eyed with his mouth open, wondering like, is this the one? Like I haven't even finished praying and God has already shown up and provided this woman, Rebecca. So he asks her, whose daughter are you? And she explains um, her family background and like, ding, 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 like, like all the boxes are being checked. And, and as the boxes are being checked, the servant responds with immediate worship. In verse 27, he says, praise the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. He said, the Lord has shown unfailing love and faithfulness to my master for he led me straight to my relatives. He said, God, I have seen God's said God's unfailing love show up right here in this moment. Guide me to this place. So at this point, Rebecca goes back to her family and tells them what has happened, and the servant follows behind. And and we meet Rebecca's family. We meet her brother Laban, who we'll see later in the story. And Laban invites the servant in and their caravan and offers to feed and take care of the animals. But you get the vibe that he does this um, more out of, like, motivation from the, the generous gifts that he's seen. Like, he's motivated by material possessions and not necessarily out of the generosity of his heart, which will come back full circle in a few chapters. So you just keep that in your back pocket for a Sunday in the near future. So he he invites them in, and the servant says, before we eat, before anything else happens, I have to tell you why I'm here. I'm here on behalf of Abraham. I'm looking for a bride for Isaac. And he he asks Laban, in verse 49, the servant says, so tell me, will you or won't you show unfailing love and faithfulness to my master? Please tell me yes or no, and then I will know what to do next. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, the Lord has obviously brought you here, so there is nothing we can say. Here is Rebekah, take her and go. Yes, let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. So they celebrate, like they all agree, like she can go, this is a good fit. Um, They have a big celebratory meal, they go to bed, and then in the morning the servant's like, all right, like I gotta get back, I've like, accomplished a job, but my mission's not complete until I deliver the goods. So he, he's like, okay, let's pack up, let's head out. And at this point, Rebecca's family protests. They're like, wait, we're not quite ready. Like you go on ahead and we'll send Rebecca in 10 days. We'll send Rebecca when, when we've had a little more time to prepare. We'll send Rebecca when we, when we feel like we're ready. And the servant. He's not buying it. He says, no, no, no. I have a mission to complete for my master, and I'm ready to go now. So they call Rebecca, and in verse 58, they called Rebecca, and they said, are you willing to go go with this man, they asked her. And Rebecca replied. She replied, yes, I will go. And for those of you who, who love um, your hopeless, hopeless romantics, you love a good, a good Hallmark movie, this has a perfect Hallmark movie ending. Um, as we see that, that Rebecca, she says, I will go, and her family gives her a blessing and sets her on her way, and Rebecca and the servant and the camels are traveling back across Mesopotamia. And while all this is happening, scripture tells us that meanwhile, Isaac has made a home um, in, a, in an area of Canaan called the Negev. And he's just out, scripture says, like meditatively walking, like he's just out for a thoughtful stroll. And while he is in this field, he spots camels and people traveling in the distance. And at that same moment, Rebecca sees this handsome man in the field, and she asks the servant, uh, who's that guy? And the servant replies, that is Isaac. That is your future husband. And I can only imagine Isaac, I can only imagine the servant running over to Isaac and explaining all that had just happened, all the things that had unfolded, all the ways that God had moved, all the steps that it took to get to this point. And then the Bible tells us that Isaac loved Rebekah that he took her as his wife and that she was a great comfort to him in this low moment of his life while he was grieving for his mom. It's just like the perfect ending. I love in this story that we see God's will carried out in very practical ways. We see people are willing to trust what God is doing in the world and they show up. Imperfect people like you and I people who show up without a GPS, without immediate directions. But they are willing to trust what God is doing and to move with God. I'd love for us to consider how. How do they do that? How do they know this is the next right step? This is the next right thing for me to do within the will of God. Also, I'd like for you to imagine right now that you are sitting on a porch in the Texas Hill Country in a big ranch looking out at the Texas sky, and the sky is blue, and it is a cool and crisp day, not in July. And there are a few clouds out above the horizon, and then a plane appears, and you see this plane traveling across the sky. And you notice the direction that it came from, you notice the size and the speed that it's moving, and then it, it hides behind a cloud, it, it flies behind a cloud. I have heard theologians liken knowing the will of God, knowing the trajectory of God to following a plane in the sky and and as it hides behind the cloud, you can, after looking at the plane, watching and learning, you can accurately project where it's going to come out on the other side even if you don't have that plane's specific flight plan. You can watch how it's been moving and you can project where it's going to go next. Such is with the will of God. You can see how God has been moving. You can know God's character and God's story and and apply those things and be able to confidently take your next steps within God's will. And we, we see Abraham and the servant and Rebecca do that, and we're going to look at what they know and what helps them take their next step and how we can do the same. So the first thing is we see how Abraham actively participates in the story of God. We see that that he knows, he knows a few things. He knows the promise, right? He's going to have descendants that outnumber the stars. And right now he only has one son and, and his wife is gone and his son doesn't have a wife. It's just the two of them. So it's not looking like super numerous at this point. So what needs to happen for there to be more descendants? He needs to find a wife for his son Isaac. So I'm gonna find a wife, but not just any wife will do. He knows a few things from spending time with God, that she cannot be a, a woman from the Canaanite people. She needs to be a relative of Abraham's. You see, in chapter 15, God told Abraham that one day your descendants will be slaves in a foreign land. And the Canaanite people will continue to worship other gods. But one day I will, I will liberate you from this labor and you will come back and you will take hold of the promised land and the Canaanite people will be wiped away. So if, if Isaac was to marry one of these Canaanite women and take on these Canaanite traditions and worship these Canaanite gods, that would have been outside of God's trajectory for, for his life and for, for the promise from the movement of God. Abraham is is, is accurately able to project that that could happen. It's almost like who you marry matters, right? He also says that you can't take Isaac out of this land. He has to stay here. God has called Abraham and his family to this place at this time. So for, for Isaac to leave this place would be, again, outside of the trajectory of God. The covenant, the second part of the covenant is tied to the land. So the son of the promise must stay in the land of the promise for him to be able to inherit the promise of God. It's important that he stays in this land. And knowing these things, he is able to actively participate in the story of God and take one step forward in faith and find a, son, or find a bride for his son. We can also learn a lot from the servant and from Rebecca, the servant who eagerly anticipates God's provision. He, he pauses to pray before he takes a step, but while he is praying, he is looking for God to be at work in the world. He's acknowledging the God who has revealed God's self, I know who you are, God, God you, you are said, God, you have shown your loving kindness to my master. And while he's praying this prayer, God shows up and brings Rebecca to the perfect spot at the perfect time. And had the, had the servant been looking at his map or trying to calibrate his compass, he would not have been able to see Rebecca show up at just the time that God had for her. So he eagerly anticipates God's provision. And then Rebecca, behold Rebecca, she willingly steps forward in faith. She trusts and believes. We know that trust and belief always results in obedience. And one thing that we are working really hard at our house daily is that the best time to obey is right away, immediately. So we see Rebecca say, Yes, I am willing to go, and I am willing to go now, not in 10 days, not when I feel like I'm ready, not when I've packed enough things or I know enough stuff not when I've gotten through this other thing that I'm working on. She says, yes, I'm willing to go now. And because of her willing obedience, her willing step of faith, we see that God is with her and God blesses her. She becomes a sort of Abraham figure, leaving her family behind, being called to a new land. She receives a blessing from her family that echoes the covenant. May your descendants be thousands upon thousands. And then we also see that her marriage to Isaac is blessed. It's characterized by love. Now, it's not perfect, it is not without conflict. There are waves of conflict and deceit and favoritism, but it is characterized by love and faithfulness. And we see her relationship with God progress, and God speaks to her. God tells her about the twins that she will, that she eventually is carrying, she tells, God tells her, not Isaac, it's her relationship with God, and God's speaking directly into her life because of her willing obedience, because she willingly took a step of faith. Now I, I love in this passage that though God does not audibly speak, that there is no GPS saying, take this step, turn here, move this distance, we see God is moving throughout the passage and we see people who are willing to move with God, to consider the trajectory of God's plan for their lives and, and on a big scale for God's story and move in that direction. We see them actively participate in God's story. We see them eagerly anticipate God's provision, God's said, and willingly step out in faith and step out in faith and say that I will go and I will go now. I bet that I am not the only one facing some uncertainty in my life in the near future. I'm sure we all have questions that we are all considering. Is this the right next step? Is this the place that I'm supposed to go? Is this... Better than this, it's hard to discern, but I want you to hear this good news. No matter what you're considering in your life, that we can confidently walk within the will of God, even in areas where God has not given us one specific verse about one specific thing. That is part of Christian maturity, a part of discipleship, is knowing God's ways better, knowing the character of God more and more, making those ways our ways, and with each, step of faith, our lives are being transformed to look more like Jesus's life. We build confidence with each step of faith. And one very practical way we can build confidence, one very practical way we can be familiar with God's story, with God's trajectory, is from God's word. God gives us very clear pictures of who God is and what God's trajectory is when we dig in and dive in to the Bible. The Bible's not a reference book for us to keep on our nightstands or or on our coffee tables to pull out when we need that one thing, we need that one piece of instruction about that one question that we have, or maybe when we like need to tell that one person about that one thing that we think God wants them to know about. But it's a part of our relationship with God, as Kaylee talked about last week. Part about spending time with God. And it, I'll tell you, it's hard to not look at reading your Bible as just something to do, a way to gain knowledge um, about God or um, something to do at the beginning or the end of your day, a box to check, but to really invest time with God to get to know who God is, what God's story is, what God's ways are, what God's will is. And it's hard. This is a big book, and there's lots of, like, difficult Uh, principles and words that are hard to understand, but I would encourage you to join one of our groups or Bible studies, so you don't have to do it alone. That's what we're striving to do, is to grow the community of Christ one life at a time, not just by inviting people into our families, but growing personally and individually in our spiritual walks with God, that together we can move God's story forward and understand God's word. There will always be cloudy days, There will always be times and questions that we have where we may not be able to see where God is moving, but if we know God's story and God's character, we can accurately project what our next step should be. There's no perfect formula for celebrating and resting in the mystery of God's work in the world and how God moves. Um, and, and balancing that with uh, our faith that is seeking understanding, we are active participants in our lives and, and in the lives of others in God's story. But we have been given many sunny days through which we can see and know God. And one that I want to look at really quick this morning is when God reveals God's self to Moses... On Mount Sinai, a passage that as we were studying um, the book of Exodus several years ago in our Bible studies, this passage blew my mind and continues to blow my mind. And I want us to look at Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, said. I lavish unfailing love, chesed, to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilt. This is the image that God chose to reveal. The image, not just the audible voice, but the image that God gives to Moses as he passes by. An image of goodness that is too good for Moses to behold all at once was it just catches a glimpse of God as He passes by. And in this image, and and, an audible sound, God says, this is who I am, this is my character, this is what I can do. It's, It's justice, it's love, it's grace, it's forgiveness, and it's all engulfed in God's goodness and God's chesed that He mentions, not once, but twice as He passes by. Now the application of this is so important. In Psalms 107, verse 43, it says, those who are wise will take all this to heart. They will see in our history the faithful love, the chesed of the Lord. We will become wise. We will be able to know the will of God, to confidently take steps within the will of God when we see God's chesed, when we have experienced that, not just, not just in the pages of the Bible, but in our own lives, where that story becomes, it says, when we will see in our history the faithful love of God, when we make it personal. And the clearest picture that we have, the brightest, the most sunny day that God gives us is the image of Jesus, who died on a cross for us who came to give his life for us, who rose again so that we could be reunited with our creator. And that is steadfast love. That is loving kindness and faithfulness. And our response to that should be worship, should be commitment to Christ, and should be chesed to other people. We will be walking within the will of God when we see God's story, when we participate in God's story. When we act out of what we have learned and watched and experienced, we can find confidence that we need to take our next right step within the will of God. Steps that are characterized by loving kindness toward others. See, if we, if we see that plane soaring across the sky, if all we have is across, cross, then we know enough to be able to confidently take that next step. Would you bow your heads this morning? And as you do, I want, to con- I want you to consider what is it that you are trying to figure out? What is it that's uncertain before you? And as you consider what that next step might be, Think about how it fits in with the trajectory of God, where you have seen God move in the past and how you anticipate God to move in the future. Does that step fit in with that? Is that step characterized by God's character, by chesed, by loving kindness towards others? With your head still bowed, maybe your next step is to take a step into a relationship with Jesus, the one who perfectly shows us God's love, God's faithfulness, who God is. He died for us to forgive our sins and bring us back to restore that relationship. And if that's you this morning, if that is your next step, all you have to do is pray a prayer right where you are in this moment, silently, that sounds something like this. God, We admit that we need your help. God, we miss the mark in projecting your trajectory all the time, God. We step outside of your ways and your will and your best for us. We thank you that you have made a way to bring us back, a bridge to pull us back into a relationship with you. And God, I choose to take that step to make Jesus my Lord and my boss. God, I desire to grow in my relationship with you, to move forward in faith with you. I ask that you would guide each and every step of those of us in this room. With everyone's head still bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning, If that was your next step, to step into a relationship, that was the best step that you can make. That is the first of many great steps of faith towards God's perfect plan for your life. And if you prayed that prayer, I want you to mark this wonderful moment right where you are by raising your hand. Marking this moment is a time where you said yes to Jesus, where you said yes to God's chesed, to God's loving kindness. Yes, to a new life in Christ. And we have a tradition around here that as you put your hands down, we put our hands together and we tell you, welcome home.